Welcome to Careers in Discovery, your window into the world of leaders in pharma and biotech. Brought to you by Singular Talent, making hiring better for organizations involved in drug discovery and R&D. Neil Weir has led a distinguished career in drug discovery and now as CEO of Citrix is leading the charge into the world of immunometabolism, an area of huge therapeutic potential. Neil joined us on Careers in Discovery to talk about developing as a leader, changing your lens as your career progresses and creating a strong culture of innovation. This week on Careers in Discovery, I'm delighted to be joined by Neil Weir of Citrix. Neil, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Good to see you. Um, So Neil, we always start by talking a little bit about what you're doing now. And Citrix is a company that I find very, very interesting. We'll talk a bit about the company itself. But I suppose I wanted to start by sort of touching on this novel area of science that you're operating in, in immunometabolism, because it's very much a new frontier. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, well, well, delighted to. So um, Citrix, relatively new company, as you Mm. said, we've been going for about three years and we're focused on immunometabolism. Currently, small molecules, so we're making medicines that that will hopefully be oral pills that we take. Our ambition is actually to help in the resolution of disease rather than to suppressing inflammation. Immunometabolism is that sort of overlap between metabolism Mm -hmm. and so the, the energetics of the cell, where, where all of our cells get their um, foodstuffs from, their, their energy um, availability, and then the decisions they make with those, those, those carbon units, then whether they actually transfer them into building new big macromolecules or whether they actually push them all the way down into making energy units and ATP, yes. that sort of thing. And I mean, pretty obviously, um, given the immune system, can be a hugely energy dependent activity. Cells growing very fast, they're making very, very large complex molecules like antibodies, and they're making huge quantities of them. Mm. That's the reason that passively, uh, energy availability can be hugely influential on the immune system. But actually it turns out it's more than that. It's, It's actually a very active control that the immune system is obviously, to anthropomorphize, is sort of worked out that it's very influential in the way it behaves, how it yes. funnels its energy components, and therefore it uses it to in part control. Mm-hmm. And I think the really interesting thing is that in part it uses it to control the destiny of certain cells, whether they're going to be um, inflammatory type mediators or whether they're going to be the types of immune cells that try to um, control and suppress or actually help move towards resolution. And therefore we have a hope that if we can bring small molecule drugs currently that help influence those control points, we can then impose on a disease environment additional control on the immune system, ideally bringing it towards resolution rather than just suppressing some of the inflammatory components. I see. Okay. So taking advantage of those natural, naturally occurring mechanisms to, to battle disease then. And and I'm interested as well in, in sort of how the company came to be because you you started as the ceo you joined very very early on there's a number of people involved who are you know very big names in immunology and and it seems a coming together of some of the leading thinkers in the field as well yeah um can you tell us a bit about the origins of the company yeah well um 
it, it really started way before I joined. Okay. Um, Human Ashrafian from SV Health Investors and pulled together a really fantastic group of advisors and, and working with other early um, founders of the company or investors in the company, including GSK and um, Supernova, for example, brought together some of the, the, the people that have been working in this field. And actually, it became clear that, that it was an area that was of significant interest to pharma. But in some cases, pharma had decided not to actually go the go the whole distance and actually build a, a group t- to do it. Therefore, there was an opportunity for us. So we, we in the early um, point, we, we acquired some assets from GSK. Yeah. And Human had collected together this group of real leading lights of um, immunometabolism experts. Um, Luke O'Neill in Trinity and Jeff Ratmel and Jonathan Powell and Mike Rosenblum, really some of the people that published some of the most influential papers. Mm. And together they 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 brought forward ideas around targets. Really, that was the that was one of their great contribution and a, an understanding of how you could set up assays to determine what, what these points of control could do in terms right. of the immune system. So there was there was a clear opportunity there. I mean, it's a, it's a hugely expanding area, and, and I think we're just at the start of understanding. But it, but the great thing is, is it's built upon an area that's hugely well understood, metabolism. You know, the, yes. all these things that were in anyone who did biology on posters in their university residence or whatever, there was a there was a pathway of glycolysis and citric acid cycle and pentose phosphate pathways and things like that. Perhaps not tremendously exciting for most people. But actually, there's a huge amount of knowledge about those those pathways. Right. What what is new is the extent to which those pathways control the immune system. So we were working on things that actually, um, you know, there's, there's there's a great basis. There's a great biochemical understanding of, but actually, there's a there's a, a new way of using that knowledge and and, and uh, expertise. Yeah, interesting. And and has that helped to anchor the immunology side of it then? Because of course, our knowledge of the immune system is increasing every month, every year, whatever, but there's still a lot of it that we don't necessarily understand how it works. Has the metabolism side anchored that, do you think, for you? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, and obviously by controlling the immune system, there is an ambition. So on one dimension, to try and suppress it when it is too active and Mm -hmm. driving autoimmune disease and that sort of thing, but also to encourage it to be more active when it's when when it's more regulatory side is dominant and perhaps it's not doing the job it should be doing in controlling cancer for example yes i see i see so very wide-ranging implications then um for the the, the technology yeah. developing and and you've been with the business for about three years yourself now neil and been building the company over that time i'm sure a lot has happened in that three years but tell us a little bit about that that journey so far uh, well, it's been a roller coaster. It's been, <laughs> you know, having come from um, a bigger pharma environment, mm. it's it's, um, it's something of a culture shock to come to company when you are the only employee, employee yes. number one. And uh, building a team has been fantastic. It's a huge privilege to do that. Um, you know, we now have our own facilities. We actually have some pretty impressive new facilities on the Oxford Science Park, and and building a building a portfolio of projects and then in turn building a big strategic collaboration with a pharma partner, Lily. Mm-hmm. Um, so these have been very, very important milestones. Um, but, but of course, at the heart of it all is the, is the 
quality and engagement uh, and excitement of the of the team and you know being hugely fortunate to 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 um, build from one to nearly 30 people now yes um and of, of course by the time we then include the colleagues that we have working on our projects that are in contract research organization it's, it's way way more than that it's probably mm-hmm. 60 70 80 people so it's it's um accelerated in size very very it's not always easy to grow a, a business that quickly no um, but i think we've had again the great good fortune of having tremendous engagement i'm sure we'll come on to the topic of the impact of our pandemic and that sort of thing but but particularly in the environment of of um, where so for half of the um lifespan of the company we've essentially not been together at least the mm-hmm. senior team have been working from home and and many of the senior team have joined um after the pandemic so in fact we yes some of them i i had until relatively recently not met face to face i haven't yet met all of them face to face so um you know growing a company in those circumstances has also been um i, I mean I, I wouldn't say it's a particular challenge it's just been different it's been interesting yeah but I think you know actually what what is is that our people have been incredibly resilient um with, with that sort of change that that's been forced upon us mm. yeah I think it's um it's changed the way that everybody's operating of course and and I I'll come on to that in just a second because I'm interested yeah. in in how you've managed that um I'm also interested in going back to that that first day where it's you know you're the only person in there you're employee number one um, I will talk a little bit about your time prior to this later on. And, and obviously, I know at UCB, uh, you were running a big team of people around the world. And, and so, as you say, that must have been quite different yeah. being on your own with a piece of paper, essentially, and some advisors. So what are your memories of that that early part of the business? Um, well, you know, there was there was no time to sit around and mm-hmm. think, gosh, this is different. Um, Fair. You, you're very clear that if it doesn't work, there's only one person that you can <laughs> look at to say, well, you could have done better. So I think that's a huge influence. Uh, I was I was incredibly fortunate to be, you know, super well supported by mm. um, some of our investor colleagues, particularly, you know, from SV, um, Human and Kate, um, managed to, to um, make sure I was supported with some really great people who helped right. Um, it was clear that, you know, if you come straight out of Big Pharma, you, you don't, you know, for all that you might ask people and, you know, you might seek advice and that sort of thing, you just don't have the hands-on experience of how to get these things up and running. So mm-hmm. to have people that had been helping companies um, go through this early transition phase was just incredibly helpful. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure. Um and then, so as time goes on, obviously, you've started to build the team, you've started to do some of the early work, you've got people in the labs, you, you, you know, progressing some of these targets, I imagine, or, or at least exploring them. Um, and, and if I'm right on the timing, you mentioned this partnership with Lily earlier, which was, which was a significant one for, for the business. Yeah. And it happened just as the first lockdown started and the pandemic hit, if, that, if that's right. Yeah, yeah. How was that? How, in terms of in terms of sort of people's reactions to that, both on the partner side and internally and how you manage that first bit of it, because I guess it's a, it's a period of time that I'm really interested in because everybody I've spoken to about it, even people with lots of experience of running businesses and, and all sorts of different backgrounds, 
have said that, you know, most things we encounter, we've seen something like it before. Mm -hmm. This was completely new and there was no example to point to of how to manage it. Yeah. Well, once again, we, we did have some very significant good fortune. So we had met with the Lily team um, and we'd actually had them over to do a face-to-face -face due diligence. Mm -hmm. And we spent a lot of time getting to know them and getting to know their interests and, and them getting to know us. And, and I think they rightly are very much interested in the team, the people, the, the motivation, the drive, the energy, that sort of thing, as well as the science. And I think we formed a great relationship, both with the scientists that we would in due course collaborate with, but also with the BD colleagues that we were trying to find the right deal that worked that was a win-win and worked for so actually we had we had had the great good fortune and and even when it comes to the you know the more challenging meetings in a lawyer's office often around the, the precise wording we've done a good deal of that face to face so okay. we had that in place you know we we did have some significant things to complete after the pandemic was upon us um, but I think actually the relationship we've built and actually the interest that Lily intrinsically had in this area, mm -hmm. because as, as much as anything, it, was, it wasn't so much us going and selling ourselves to them. They, they were clearly very interested. We'd had the good, the good fortune of having an opportunity to, to speak to their head of immunology early on and yes. actually meet the CEO very early on. So they, they were genuinely interested in the area. So, you know, I think it was it was a very much a mutual desire to get the get the thing done. Which which helps, I suppose, if a lot of the the face to face stuff has been done prior yeah. to that. that, but, that but, makes but actually still, you know, after pandemic pandemic struck, we still had the, the major signatures to collect. And okay. I think that was that was that was very good and brave strategic thinking amongst the you know the senior Lily colleagues, mm -hmm. CSO and CEO. To sign an agreement, which was by no means trivial in size, yeah. At a time when they had so many other things on their plate, like you know, probably stopping quite a lot of clinical studies, and how you know, how are you going to organize? I think it showed great foresight and strategic vision yeah. to decide. Actually, no, that there is going to be a need for new medicines in the future. There is going to be a need for these, and since we've done all this work to actually get this pretty well sorted out we're going to go ahead with it rather than just decide that perhaps an easy decision might be just well let's let's put that on the let's mm. put that on board. so i think it was to their great credit they, they they took that decision to go forward yeah and i i suppose it's it's one of the things i've seen not everyone was quite as quick to get back on track as perhaps lily was in this situation but one of the things i noticed from uh, the biotech sector in general is that there was very much an awareness quite early on that yes, this is a setback and it's gonna, you know, we're gonna have to figure out how to work around this. But actually we're working on programs that are years long and you know, the, this is a delay rather than a change of plan. And, and it seems that there was a collective sort of recovery from that relatively quickly compared to some other sectors, perhaps because of the length of the, you know, the project cycles and things like that. But I think it was also, I mean, rather interestingly and perhaps for the benefit of hindsight, it was an opportunity to to prove and demonstrate the importance and impact and significance of this 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 type of industry. Yes. Uh, so you know, I mean, not just in vaccines, but very very clearly demonstrated in vaccines. But vaccines might not have worked, and you know, we might have been in the field of passive immunity by making recombinant um, antibodies and things like that, or actually, you know, just more 
drugs that adapt the immune system and try to suppress that piece that sort mm. of causes collateral damage as opposed to the piece that's true. So I think it, it presented a great opportunity, which in general was taken fantastically well collectively by biotech and, and pharma. And I think, you know, generally the public at large and perhaps also the investment community realize, well, this this can make a huge mm. impact. And and it can and it can be very quick and it can be very creative. So yeah. this is a good area to be to be investing in further because there's still plenty of challenges yes impacting our, our fellow citizens absolutely and i suppose the, the the speed is an interesting one right because the sort of accepted wisdom is that it takes a long time to get drugs to market and of course regulation is a good thing and of course we saw a much higher level of collaboration than perhaps we'd see under normal circumstances but maybe one of the legacies of this is some challenging of the the pace that drugs are developed at and and yep. what's required and you know what's extraneous well i think that's i mean that's one of the common themes is i mean mm. there have been some terrible things that have happened and some dreadful loss of life yes. and you know tragic consequences for families and 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 countries and even worse than the uk but there have been some positives that have come mm. out of it in terms of learning about resilience and learning that actually yes you can it doesn't take 10 years to do these things you can um, if you put your mind to it and you perhaps to a degree you're prepared to take a certain degree of considered risk then you you can move things through much quicker yes yeah uh, it'd be interesting to see the legacy of that i suppose once the uh once the pressure is off <laughs> as yeah. much as it ever is in biotech right um so I, I was interested to explore your career, of course, Neil, and, and that's largely why we're having this conversation. Um, I think there's been a really interesting journey that you've taken. One of the things that struck me as I was looking into your background is, and I think will be interesting to our audience, is, you know, as a, as a scientist in drug discovery, obviously a lot of your career is spent trying to get compounds into the clinic and then hopefully to get them to market beyond that. And, um, you know, this is this is an area that you have a really strong track record of. So from what I could see, you were one of the inventors of Simsia, which is one of the most commercially successful drugs of the last uh, several years. And and the stat that really struck me was that your you and your teams have been responsible for taking 33 compounds into the clinic. Is that right? Yeah, certainly uh, into, the, into the clinical development process. Sometimes they fall at the first... Um, sure toxicology hurdle it's probably more than that now but you're somewhere in that region yes yeah so you know we we often speak to people who have they, they have very good careers in the industry and they have very good um very good careers as drug discovery scientists but they don't they don't reach that level of consistency or they don't they don't have that same level of um of of not commercial success necessarily although that's part of it but of, of progressing drugs is there anything particularly that you think has enabled you to do that or anything you've perhaps done differently or looked at differently that's been helpful in 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 progressing the work that you've done uh, well i don't think there's a there's a sort of magic um it's not a magic solution sure i think it's a combination of things and um, i I, mean, I stress that it's by no means me <laughs> you know it's working with a team that have been and, and, and in, in, from my personal point of view, it's been a huge collection of great good fortune. Mm. When, as in the early days where, where I first started in, in the cell tech, it, it really, that was just the most incredibly inventive, creative, energized, driven organization to do 
really creative science and mm-hmm. came out just an extraordinary number of world firsts in terms of what you could do with antibodies. I, I, I'm sorry to say, I don't think it complemented that, at least in the early days, with exceptional commercial um, um, smartness and, and, and right. impactfulness. And, and I think that is one of the challenges, how you actually combine both that creativity that, that gives freedom to go and try different things, but also find a way of balancing that with a sort of commercial reality of, of where you need that to be directed towards. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there was a really a fantastic environment of scientists, and, and I'm, I, I hope in some way I contributed to that, but managed to continue to build a really fantastic, energized team that, that really cared about it. And were, you know, they, they, they put their whole life you know, through it into making these medicines and making yes. these things they work. Um, and, you know, that, that's an important... And another factor was quite a lot of those medicines were, were in a one technology area of monoclonal antibodies or, or variants thereof, antibody drug conjugates and fragments and monoclonal antibodies. Which actually, if you have the skills, and our organisation did, um, they, I would say, um, at, the, at the risk of sounding judgment, they're 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 not as difficult mm. as getting small molecule drugs with the number of variables. We, we were also just working on so, and some of those drugs are small molecule, but but a significant number are antibodies. Yeah. And I think knowing what if you know what you're doing and you have a team that really understand those, then it is something you can continue to to, to generate. Right, um, impactful mo- molecules. Yes, uh, relatively efficiently. So okay, and I suppose that that sort of links back to what you were saying about the the commercial thinking, perhaps in that if you've got a, a technology there that I guess these days would be called a platform, right? Uh, it wasn't yeah. a term that was so much around then. Then it's about recognizing where else it can be applied and how you how you make the most of that technology yeah. is, is some yeah. of it. Um, and then talking about the the environment at Celtech that you went into. So one of the things I always find really interesting is that I suppose from the outside, and I, I would count myself in this as well, I'm not a scientist by background. Um, you, science, science is obviously thought of, particularly in an area like drug discovery, is a very innovative profession, and it is, and it's very creative and that kind of thing. But creating that environment of innovation it's perhaps a bit more, it's not about just getting a bunch of scientists in a room, right? It, there's things that go into that. Any any observations there? Um, yeah, I think it's, um, again, as a team, you need you yeah. need influential people um, in your organization who are, I mean, I, I think, unfortunately, there's, there's no alternative for incredibly hard work and commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, that's almost something that's essential. But I think I also had the great good fortune of, of being offered and, and, and given a, a coach to sort of complement perhaps my scientific drive with that other piece that's required, which is being interested in and embracing the, the people side. You know, the, you know, what is the culture of the organization? How, how, how do you embrace all the different styles? Because mm-hmm. actually, I think it, it can from time to time be that some of the most inventive scientists, the most creative scientists, um, will will benefit from better understanding of how they impact each other, and and um, rather right. just 
in their ideas forward of, of trying to work together in teams. So trying to find a way in which you could blend that super creative, incredibly hardworking and driven style of, of some some scientists who who are very often are the inventors. Mm. Actually build it into a team that works together nicely and it, and supports and complements each other, etc. So I think I was I could I was very fortunate in, in being given um, um, a, a coach to work with, actually a chap called um, Mike Douglas, who completely changed my outlook on how you how you how you interact with people, mm-hmm. how you how you have to work with as a team, how you understand how you are impacting the rest of the organization. You know, when, when it's when you shouldn't when it's time to stop driving something because you think you know you're right. And, and when, when it's to stop and listen to other people and, and take that person. But I think it's all about increasing your self-awareness and increasing right. broader perspectives so that you're always not just looking at it from the way you collect data and gather data, either through your particular personal style or preferences or even through your discipline. Mm-hmm. But actually, it's always having the ambition and embrace to sort of leave that seat at the table, you know, metaphorically. And go and have a look at, at the way the whole problem looks or the opportunity looks from different perspectives, different perspectives from different scientific disciplines or different perspectives from different personality styles. And I, I think that was hugely influential for me personally yes. in picking up some of those skills. Yeah, interesting. And obviously, this this coach that you worked with helped you with that. Was it Was it something that came quite naturally to you once you started to realize it or did it did it need a lot of work to make that transition to to become that sort of people leader as well as that scientific leader i i, I think they're all hard work you know frankly sure. <laughs> it's genuinely hard work um, but i think it's a lot of it's down to the skill of the people that yes so it's not just the coach but it's your colleagues it's your hr colleagues it's your it's, it's the broad group of people that are helping you and influencing you and um I, I I wouldn't for a minute say it just came easily. No, it no. was hard to, to to sit back and understand and and learn and force yourself. I think my natural style was to be somewhat single-minded <laughs> and certain that I knew how to do it. Right. It's okay. But but to force yourself to leave that to one side, um, I'm sure my colleagues would, would say that I didn't always do that. <laughs> <laughs> but but to just go and listen to the other arguments and really understand because actually, although from time to time they appear to be wrong, maybe you even get to the point where you, you come to the conclusion there isn't such thing as a wrong argument, it's just a different argument. And it's mm. and it, that's an argument that's more weighted to one particular perspective on the opportunity or the challenge versus your weighing a set of data more heavily that leads you to your, your conclusion. Yes. Yeah, interesting. And I, I thought I suspected that might be your answer. The reason I asked is that I think sometimes there's this perception that there are some people who are just natural leaders. There are some people who it comes easily to. I've never actually met anyone that it comes easily to. Everybody who who's become a good leader has had to work at it and develop themselves and and put that time in. Um, and I think it's always useful for for that to be to be out in the open as well. Well, I don't think any of it's easy. I think it's generally hard no. work. But I think you also, it's its not something you just do yourself. It's something you all um, have to be blessed with, you know, the, the right sort of people around you. But of course, again, that can, to a degree, be in your control because you can influence 
the way that people around you, are they prepared to take time? Are they prepared to invest time? Do they, do they see something? In, do they see you responding? Do they see you um, being interested in their perspective and, and what they have to say? Because I think if they don't see that, then they're not going to help you. And you do need those people around you to help you. Yeah. And I, I suppose it's a it's a challenging balance sometimes, isn't it? Because you, you want to listen to everybody's opinions you want to you want to take on board different arguments as you say and, and different perspectives and things like that um I, I suppose there comes a point particularly in the job you're in now as a ceo of a company sometimes you have to make the decision right but you want to weigh all the arguments carefully and i suppose it's that balance between respecting people's opinions and then making the decision that you feel is right sure yeah. but I, I think if you start off as i probably did being fairly dominant towards the I think I'm just tempering it somewhat. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Completely switching over to being indecisive. No, I think you're right. You know, there are times where you just got to, it's better to make a decision mm-hmm. one way or another than when the decision may be very difficult to get right and just not make the decision and carry on with, with several options of which, so you almost guarantee you will be not successful. Yeah. Yeah, understood. Um, We always like to take it right back to the beginning as well, Neil. And um, you mentioned the environment you came into at Celtech as being extremely creative and extremely innovative. And and I suppose, you know, it sounds like an amazing place to start your drug discovery career. I get just just taking it a step before that. Why science for you in the first place? Why drug discovery in the first place? What led you down this this career path, do you think? I, I, at no stage in my career can I say I had it all mapped out and I decided I was going to do this next and that next. I, I, I probably fall more in the category of it. I happened to stumble across it. and mm-hmm. um, I started off with a real fascination in nature. I had um, one of the influential things, I think, in fact, just sitting in front of me on my desk here. From a very early age, I inherited a really superb ancient old brass microscope. And it's it just, it's a magnificent piece of equipment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having a look at things that you find um, in a pond or or you find in a leaf or something, but I just loved it. I, I loved sort of collecting things and, uh, and and having sort of all exhibits of different pieces of um, nature I found around me. So I think that was a, that was, it was a, it was a, something I enjoyed very mm. much. I think for, if I had natural inclination stroke ability they were probably more towards maths and physics okay but i really enjoyed that type of biology and i had at the time probably very limited um, um, skills or natural inclination towards for example foreign languages Although actually, I'd, as I've got older, I've found things that I felt were not my area much, much more interesting. I mean, a good example, I think, is history. I probably didn't really get into history because I was much more um, science and that sort of thing. But mm. actually, older, I think, in line with what I've been saying, understanding context and 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 stepping back and seeing the big picture and seeing, well, you know, when has this problem been encountered before in one mm. form or another? Now history does tend to repeat itself. So I, that's as an aside, I found that right. So I started off on science. I, I did a, I, I went to do a degree in a pure science, actually botany. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't all flower pressing and phloem and xylem, but actually it was in a department in Edinburgh where um, 
the staff who are who are, who are fantastic. We're we're really doing cutting edge work. For example, in you know novel early understanding of messenger RNAs just using plant systems as the system, which was fascinating. I I enjoyed that, and then sort of converted more to something because I at that point I really felt I wanted to do something um, more commercially orientated. Mm-hmm. I don't mean selling drugs. I mean, but but less an academic career purpose. Right. I did sort of more of a conversion over towards a form of microbiology initially, um, and and then in due course went on to do a PhD in something essentially looking at the way cells grow and control their growth, and they use you know metabolic pathways and and the and the mathematical analysis of how how pathways feed forward control and feedback control and what interesting okay. steps are. I found actually quite a nice area of overlap between a mathematical interest and a, and a science interest in mm-hmm. that area. And, and it was, it, you know, it was really shortly after that that I went into to industry, starting in Celtech, um, and, and applied some of that thinking to things like how do you get cells to grow in such a manner that they are that well suited to making the antibody in the quantity or at the quality. That, that, that you would like them to do. So yes. that was the sort of transition in there for me. And yeah. So in, in some respects, coming back to immunometabolism is a bit of a completion of the cycle because they're not quite the same metabolic pathways, but back to actually thinking about how pathways control are controlled by all the sort of various interconnecting regulators. Mm. Yes, I was going to say, it's interesting how these things come around. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um and then you, you've touched on earlier, and I, I suppose, um, you know, knowing the industry in, in the UK, that Celtech environment was very successful, was, you know, became UCB, of course, and, and lots of notable alumni from that group. And um, you said earlier, it was a very innovative, creative environment to be part of. Anything, any particular recollections about what it was about it that made it that way and, and why it was a good place to, to start your career? Um, I'm not, I mean, I think I cannot, I can make observations. I'm not sure I can say why those observations are there. Fair enough, yeah. It was, you know, there, there probably was a culture of tolerance of genuine creativity and following elite rather than very disciplined drilling down to, we're going to do this and only this. And, mm. and if something appears as an interesting branch of this, you're not going to follow it because we want to achieve this and, and we may not have had the, the, the precisely the right balance. We may have had too much opportunity to to go and do inventive things. But one way or another, it certainly allowed that incredible creativity and inventiveness. Um, and I, perhaps that was the upside. Mm-hmm. Perhaps the downside was I don't think we fully maximised the the impact of. All those incredible first of you know first recombinant antibodies to be expressed for antibody drug conjugate that sort of thing. Yes, I understood. And, and you, I mean, you were there for some time, and you, of course, would have seen it grow and change and um, merge into another organisation and, and all that kind of thing. Um, I suppose then going into going into Citrix at the point that you went into it with you know with this career in a much bigger company. Um, were there particular things, do you think, that you, you, I suppose you had the opportunity going in as the first person to kind of shape it in the way that you felt 
it should be done and it was right and and that that would be effective um were there particular things that, that you sort of set out as principles for doing that or things that you wanted to implement in the company or, or build into the company that you picked up along the way that either you thought were right or that you thought could be done better or yeah well i thought there's a combination of maximize outward looking so mm -hmm. not just operating in one's own small world thinking that you know everything but actually take advantage of that huge benefit we had of these you know really really terrific founding scientists and, and network with their labs and try and be interactive and, and also network with the rest of the environment you know mm. what, what, what are other people doing and always be um, cognizant of the fact that um it's very it's very likely someone else is doing something similar um what can you learn from that and and not i mean it's true of even a very large organization that you don't have all the brains in one place and you can learn enormously it's it's super true of an organization that has a small number of people so that yes context awareness what are other people doing but also you know high quality science um making sure that we do our experiments and we are we do them properly and we are mm. we've got them properly controlled and we understand what the what the answer is and that, and that we are we have the ambition to to know our area of science we have the ambition to be be able to be somewhat robust in our debates with each other and challenging each other um not just say oh that looks great if you, if you don't think it looks great then say so and and, and meet the challenge so actually you have that sort of ability to take the gloves off when you're having a sort of scientific critique of what you're doing, what why you're trying to, you know, what is it you're trying to, what's the question you're trying to answer? Right. Most importantly, keep a focus on that. Always trying to encourage everyone to put that as the first thing on their slide. What am I trying to answer here? And what, therefore, why is this the right? Rather than if you lose sight of that and you just go off one lead, experiment leads to another mm -hmm. leads to another, before you know where you are, you, you've lost contact with what it was you were trying to, establish or or develop or improve or, or whatever so i think that sort of scientific quality energy I, I fundamentally believe you don't discover drugs on a sort of nine to five basis yes yeah you have that enthusiasm and energy that you just can't wait to see your gel develop or or you can't you know you you've got to come in to have a look at yourselves mm -hmm. you know, on a saturday or a sunday or whatever but the thing is it, it, it's just so difficult to do it without that um, level of energy and engagement. Yeah, yeah, and I, I suppose that's that's the key thing with it, isn't it? Is that is that in, energy in terms of the the rigor and the vigor that you bring to your work, but it's also that engagement, right? That intellectual curiosity of I can't wait till Monday to know what's happened here. I, I need to see it today. It's um, it's an interesting yeah. point, and I think yeah, we hear it from a lot of people that good science just it's not a job you can really schedule it's a job that you do on its on its schedule a lot of the time yeah that's true yeah, yeah. and but, but with, within within reason because i think mm. people have got to enjoy it and they've got to have fun um and they've got to have another side of their life that helps them have that context and and um it puts everything into perspective so i think i'm, I'm i've always been extraordinarily fortunate in having that so i think if I if I came home and thought about nothing but this work, and I didn't have you know other things, which say well maybe that's not such a problem, then I then I, I think I would be less able to to do it. 
True, true. Um, and interesting, the point that you make about looking externally, looking outward, I think, you know, this it's of course a trend that we see in the industry now is that nothing exists in a vacuum anymore, right? You don't have everything under one roof, um, typically, particularly mm -hmm. in, in biotech companies. And I suppose Citrix is a good example of that in that you've got your academic collaborators, you have your CROs, you've got your partnership with Lily. There's, there's lots of sort of, um, lots of sort of players in the programs that you're developing. And, and if I've understood what you're saying correctly, though, what Citrix is responsible for is this being the center of that, that, or being the hub of those spokes, for example, and, and moving those programs towards creating a medicine that's effective. Is that, is that the right way to think about it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, in general, yes, I think that's, yeah. that's, that's, what, that's what we're here to do. And I, I think, you know, the hub of the spokes can be an overplayed, because I think it's a, it's, it's a more meshed network. Uh, we don't yeah. put ourselves at the center of the universe, but we put ourselves at an important node in it, you know, tr trying to connect the right, the right things we need to bring together. Yeah, understood. And we've probably touched on some of this, Neil. Um, and I, I suppose it's perhaps something that you've um, had an opportunity to do over the last three years as you've brought people in who are early in their career to, to your business as well. If you were giving advice to people starting out in drug discovery, or if there was something you wish you'd known when you started out, what, what would that be? What are, what's the, what are the key things that you've learned along the way? And what advice would you leave for those people? Well, um, again, I don't think there's a magic thing. Everyone's solution might be different. For me, it is learning that generally it's hard work. Right. And you need, to be, you need to be resilient. There will be times when you get disappointments. You will be times those disappointments are because things don't work mm -hmm. or because somebody you feel doesn't understand the contribution you've made. There, those will happen. And, and just to suck that up and decide, right, okay, well, I, the only person that can do anything about that is me. There's no point in me deciding that's someone else's fault. You know, to, to learn that, to live, learn that resilience, to learn that you, it is good to have an area you, you're really grounded in and you, you're really respected for and you, mm -hmm. you bring an expertise in and, and to, to impose that sort of confidence that people know that, you know, if person X says, or if you say something, people think, well, that, that's probably going to be right. That, that person will have worked it out. Right. And then actually curiously, as you then develop your career, it's almost a, a willingness to give that up because that can become your umbilical cord. That can become mm. a sort of comfort blanket that you use. Well, I'm the expert in that area. Because you then get to a stage where, in fact, you have to manage things that you absolutely are not the expert on and you have to use a different set of skills. And, and I think it's a really good sort of um, effectively, you have to cut that umbilical and no longer rely upon having an area of expertise that, that, yes. that demonstrates your standing almost, but actually you, you then become someone who can see the big picture, more of the big, and, and actually right from the start, trying to see the big picture. So, so you almost view it as different lenses on the microscope, because very often you start with that very high power lens, you see all the detail. Mm. But the more you can force yourself to, to use those lower power and see where that fits and see what context, and then there's always another level of context and there's always another... So you can put what you're doing in context with something else and see why it, you know, how it might compare. So having a thirst and energy for that knowledge um, that, that is both in your specialist area, but also 
puts context around it and, and understands what the alternatives might be. You're working up through those lenses, I think, is, is really important. Yeah, I, I suppose there's an element of self-awareness in that, as you touched on earlier when we were talking about the transition to leadership in that that expertise, that specialism gets you to a certain point in your career. And then beyond that, you have to develop other skills, right? And you have to, I suppose, spend time becoming aware of what the things you need to develop are at each point. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think yeah. you do develop to a point where you realize maybe you perhaps start off thinking you manage areas that you really know well best, but, but I think that's probably not correct because when you're forced to manage areas that you really don't know, I think you have to work hard try and understand something of it so you understand a reasonable amount of it but when you're managing something where you know you have to rely upon the experts so it's it's a different form of you're managing what are we trying to achieve you how do you rather than you know trying to take the view that you actually know that as well as Mm. you make a a massive step forward in your your progress towards being a, a leader yeah it's almost a purer form of management isn't it without that without that subject matter expertise yeah, interesting. Um, that's really helpful, Neil. Um, it's obviously been a very exciting time for Citrix and for you and, and lots happening and it's going at pace and things are moving forward. What, what's next? What does the next 18 months hold for, for you and for the company? Well, I, you know, what we're doing this for is to make medicines, to make uh-huh. medicines that make a difference. And, and uh, we're making fantastic progress along that path, but we're very clearly not there yet. Um, you know, so it's it's actually to build on the opportunities we have and bring more so that we actually get so I think there is a point when you get projects to the point you think, yeah, this is going to this is going to be a medicine. Um, but I think that doesn't come until you've got it at least started in some early studies in patients. Right. Um so uh, you know it's it's driving our projects forward to 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 do what we're here to do to make an impact. So I think that's the that's our greatest focus. And and if we're successful in doing that. That will open up all sorts of opportunities for us to grow the company further, yeah. Or to you know to um, or for those assets to be partnered with, and or for those assets to be partnered with our current partners and or, and or additional partners in the future. Yeah, and I suppose as we talked about at the top, because this is such a novel area of science, and and thinking back to sort of the monoclonal antibody example there, if you get that proof of concept, right? If you get that that. Um, track record in one area of application of this, that that just opens up everything else, right? And, and in many, it's a nice analogy, because actually that's one of the attractions I had for right. metabolism is that it's it's a huge field. Mm-hmm. There's just enormous complexity to the metabolic pathways, and it's an extraordinary number of them that have an influence on the way immune cell, and, and not just a passive influence, an actual, uh, an active controlling influence on the, on the way immune cells behave. And, finding the ones that are also um, drug targets and, and have the potential to not just to, to bring another drug, but bring a drug that offers something different, superior, um, I think is our challenge. Yeah. Well, it's, it's tremendously exciting. And I know from the interactions that I've had with the team that you've built there at Citrix, I know they're all very, very passionate about it. So we wish you the best of luck and we'll certainly be, be cheering you on. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Careers in Discovery and don't forget to subscribe for more insight into the world of drug discovery and R&D. Do take a look at our sponsors, Singular Talent 
and their mission to make herring better for companies and individuals in drug discovery and R&D. You can find them at www.singulartalent.io. See you next time.